Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, mostly always, returning this week after his one-week hiatus, my co-host, the legendary Matt Willoughby. How you doing, Matt? I am fantastic. I am so glad to be back. I am so sorry I missed last week. Um, I actually have condensed some thoughts together about that last section that we played, because I was planning on being here, unlike what you said in the podcast. Yes, I did listen to it, and... uh, I'm glad to be back, though. You know what? We done Not sad I missed it, but... (laughs) We we done missed you, Matt. I I missed you guys, too, because what I was doing was much less fun than an actual podcast. I was working the night shift at one of our distribution centers, so believe me when I say, would have much rather been here uh, than doing that. So, give us your honest thoughts. In terms of emergency backup co-hosts, how's how's old Mike doing? Old Mike did a fan fantastic job and i told him as much i texted him after i listened to the episode the next day and told him mike you did a great job but don't get used to it because this is my gig i uh, i love being here but he really did great uh you guys had a good episode you turned uh you turned a hot steamy pile of uh tadpole garbage into uh, a pretty good episode well, thanks. I mean, I think that that's the best possible scenario that could have come out of any of that. So appreciate you. Yeah, I totally agree. And and just to iterate, because I did not reiterate because I didn't get to say it last week, but that section of game sucks, except for everything that happens in the Nehru Desert, which is amazing. And the boss rush to get the Hylian shield is awesome. I also, and I actually don't think Mike and I really touched on the boss rush much. Um, I like you were supposed to in side quests and then didn't. Well, I mentioned it, but he hadn't done much of it. So, you know, whatever. Um, So I like that boss rush just because I like most of the bosses in this game. That being said, it's kind of a drag. Like, I wish that you could choose them in any order that you wanted, because if you're going to have to fight them all anyway, you know, because it's sort of a drag when you get halfway through that and then you end up with like two imprisons in a row. Well, so the funny thing is, though, you don't have to fight them all to get the Hylian shield. You only have to beat uh, you can you can skip one of the three in prison fights. If you beat all of them, you get another piece of heart. If you beat all but one, you get this absurdly sturdy shield, which is the Hylian shield. Yeah. And so, the, like, and the way I know that is because I did the boss rush before I even went back to Farron Woods to do the third imprisoned fight, so, and so I still I. got the Hylian shield. Yeah, so, yeah, so you, did I. You so, can do it without unlocking all three imprisoned fights. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I wish you could do is once you get to the step where you get the heart, I wish you didn't have to, like, jump Stop off. it completely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree, because I thought the same thing. I, I needed one more piece of heart to complete another heart container, and I was like, I could stop here and get it, but then I'd have to do all eight of those bosses again to get the Hylian shield, and I don't feel like doing that. So. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That Linnea Gorge section was awesome just because it was, like, new. It was a new place for with sure. new stuff to do. Um, and the rest of it was uh, pretty uniformly not awesome. Pretty uniformly not awesome. Totally I would, agree. If I had to rank them... Just off the top of my head, it would go number one is easy Lanayru Gorge, number two is the Tad Tones, and number three is Elden Volcano. Completely agree. Elden Volcano can go 
I can't say what I want to say, but can, you know what I want. You know what I want to say. <laughs> it, can, it can go do inappropriate things with a large variety of unseemly people. Exactly. Yeah. It, exactly. It is. It's absolutely the worst. Yeah, it's terrible. Cool. All right. Well, I'm glad that your thoughts align with ours so that at least we weren't missing like a huge dissenting opinion. Like no. if, if you would come into that episode preparing to like. To defend like, it to the death yeah, yeah die, no. die on the hill of the song of the hero is the best part of this game absolutely not <laughs> that would have made for some good podcasts if nothing else but it's true it would have dissenting opinions make for good podcasts oh man well matt cool glad you could just succinctly wrap that up for us glad to have you back this week like i said because we have a significantly more fun section of the game to get into um the the finale of this game we're, we're wrapping it up this week uh we have come to the end of our skyward sword journey 10 10 weeks later which like sounds like a long time but it feels like yesterday we were talking about Farron woods for the first time couldn't agree more and These like things it's just go very so fast. weird it's very weird to to know that we're here and then like i look back on the last 10 weeks they're a blur for a lot of different reasons but i'm like man i just I so enjoyed my time with this game and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later and also on the next episode. So I'm not going to, you know, wax uh, philosophical about the game right now, but just like I've enjoyed it so much that it doesn't feel like it took us 10 weeks to play this game. Yeah, agree. And this is just a reminder to everybody. Uh, after this episode, next week, we will have one more Skyward Sword episode. As is our custom, we will have a recap episode where we kind of give out some awards uh, for different categories of excellence within this game. We rank it against the other games that we've played um, and have a bit more discussion just kind of closing the book on this one. Before we move on to the next game that we're going to play, which I'm just going to go, I'm, I'm prepared to go ahead and announce call the it. win on yeah, this. Just, just call it. All right. Link to the Past will be the next game that we play. Another top-down. We go back and forth. Um, and so we're hitting uh, hitting another top-down game. And yeah, so the first episode of A Link to the Past will be taking place on Wednesday, November the 17th. Personally, I'm highly excited to get into this one, if for no other reason than because this is going to be the first Zelda game we've done on this podcast that you will be playing for the first Absolutely. time. Absolutely. I am so excited to play this game for the first time ever i'm coming into it with a very fresh perspective i have not read anything about it i have not looked up a game guide i have not done any research i'm going in tabula rasa as they say uh blank slate and i'm gonna try my absolute best to do it sans guide and we're gonna see how that goes there's a few parts that are truly going to frustrate you so for sure if I if I if I reach a point of frustration, I will ask you first before I go to a guide. <laughs> OK, I appreciate that at least. So, yeah, there you have it. That's going to be our next game. And we can't wait to get into that. Matt, do you have anything else you want to say before we hop into housekeeping? Uh, just that we just spent the last hour or so talking to the guys over at Hyrule Podcasters. Uh, we did a nice, fun little interview with Ben them. and Pat. Ben and Pat, uh, Hyrule Podcasters, as they say. And, uh, we had a lot of fun. As they say, and as we said. As we said at the end of the episode, it was a lot of fun. Go check them out. Give them a like and a follow on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, they have a Discord channel where we did our interview. I believe they're planning on uploading that audio, I believe, in their Discord. So go ahead and check that out. I think we'll be trying to snag some of that maybe for a bonus episode as well so uh you guys will get a healthy taste of ben and pat and matt and lynn yeah we had a great conversation about uh 
what led us to want to do a podcast in the first place, what that process was like, how we go about getting guest uh, talent on our podcast, where it's going next, even after A Link to the Past, and uh, – you know, covered a lot of different ground, including some of the hot controversies of the moment, um, one of which is the pricing and the quality of the Nintendo 64 online expansion for the Switches uh, online. So, yeah, there's a it, honestly, it was a really great time. We talked to them for about an hour and it was a ton of fun. So be looking forward to that. It's fun stuff. So, yeah, I think that's all I want to say before we get right into the nitty gritty dirty of the episode, which there's a lot to cover. So let's jump right in. Before we do that, let's get into some housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda. One little slice out of time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and drop our hot takes i'm gonna back this whole thing up matt do you dare me to do this entire thing in a wrestling announcer voice please don't no but i can do it you can how about you do the one at the end in the wrestling voice every week we play a new section of the zelda game then we sit down here to talk and drop our hot takes if that sounds fun to you please head over to apple podcast hit that subscribe button and be sure to leave us a review five star reviews are greatly appreciated and they have a chance to get a shout out here on the show if you want more sacred realms in your life you can head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod to get access to bonus episodes write in listener mail vote on what game we play next and much much more I can't describe to you how fun that was for me. I'm I'm so happy for you. I enjoyed that very much. Your joy brings me joy. Are you sure? No. <laughs> Without further ado, let's talk about what we played. <laughs> we have too much fun on this podcast. Oh man. All right. Um, this is the Sacred Realms Rundown, a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Skyward Sword Chapter 10, which is the finale of the game. Part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown is, of course, the plot recap as read by Matt. Matt, <clears throat> take her away. Not in a wrestling commentator voice. No, no, there's way too much for that. I don't think I could do that for 2,200 words. No, it's not possible. You would require vocal cord replacement surgery. (laughs) We have come to the final silent realm of our journey, and it resides among the clouds in our ancestral home of Skyloft. We find the entrance to this trial by the main diving platform where our journey began when we won the Loftwing race so long ago. We enter the Silent Realm just like all the others, and our home is transformed into the guardian-infested nether realm that we have come to know so well. The tears that we have to collect are the tears of the goddess herself, and they push our skills to the limit. But in the end, we prevail and are rewarded with the Stone of Trial, which will apparently show us the way to the Triforce that we are seeking. Heading to the other side of the island where we have so long seen this stone's pair, we place the stone in the bird statue that faces the goddess's island. To our surprise, the bird statue shoots a cannonball at the island. After an interminably long time, the island reacts, and massive chunks of the floating landmass fall away, revealing a temple built directly into the base of the goddess statue. 
As the temple finishes unveiling itself to us, the bird statue shoots a series of targets for us to hookshot to in order to make our way over to the temple entrance. As we enter the temple, we find a challenge unlike any we have faced before. The temple is a labyrinth of moving segments filled with challenges from our previous temples and dungeons, all leading to different rooms and dead ends. Within these moving pieces are hidden the three pieces of the Triforce, and it is our task to not only find the hidden path to each piece, but to overcome the puzzles and enemies in our way to lead us to the power that we seek. Wisdom, courage, and power guide us through the temple until at last we hold all three pieces of the ancient power within our hand. As soon as we lay our hands on the third and final piece, we are transported to the viewing platform of the goddess's statue, the very place where Zelda performed the victory ceremony with us. There, in physical form, the Triforce in its completed form springs from our body to float before us. Fee tells us to focus with all our might and to pray upon the Triforce and to wish for the destruction of Demise. And so we do just that. As legends say, the Triforce fulfills the wish that we have placed upon it, but does so in a very surprising way. As the wish resonates, the entire island of the goddess breaks away from the rest of Skyloft and begins to hurtle down toward the ground below. As it passes through the cloud barrier, it becomes clear that the island itself sits directly above the sealed grounds, and that the temple and island were in fact cut from the ground that the imprisoned is now trapped within. Like a puzzle piece landing in its proper spot, the island comes to rest right on top of the imprisoned, just as it once again breaks the seal, destroying the abomination once and for all. The sealed temple is now whole, the imprisoned is destroyed, and the world is safe, and the sun shines brightly upon the land once more. The Triforce resides on the statue of the goddess on the sealed grounds, just as it once did so long ago. But now, as Fee informs us, the seal that Zelda has maintained through her age-long slumber is no longer needed, and she should be waking any moment. Upholding our promise, we rush to the temple, and apprehensively, but with great anticipation, we approach the chamber that has housed Zelda's chrysalis for ages. As the doors open, the chrysalis shatters, and slowly Zelda opens her eyes. With surprising strength, she makes her way slowly down the stairs, but at the bottom, she stumbles and appears to fall. Rushing forward, we catch her tenderly in our arms, and as we hold our dear friend, she bids us good morning, just like she always would when waking us up in Skyloft. We soon rejoin Groose and the Ancient One, and the sense of relief and joy is palpable in the air. Groose and Zelda hug like old friends, and the overjoyed Lummox graces Granny with a big bear hug as well. But as happens so frequently on our journey, our moment of triumph is brutally interrupted by none other than Girahim. He steps out from around the corner, laughing maniacally after blasting Zelda and us with an extremely powerful burst of his magic. The blast has left us virtually unable to stand, and Zelda is borderline unconscious. Girahim takes Zelda, and after insulting Groose's pompadour, he roundhouse kicks Groose and Granny out of the way and escapes into the past to resurrect Demised in the distant past. We pursue him through the gate of time and find that he also got the drop on Impa and has left her grievously wounded and unable to assist us in the rescue of Zelda. The only place to go now is to the sealed grounds that is holding Demise and to try to stop whatever dark ritual Girahim is using to resurrect the Demon King. But as we step onto the winding path, Girahim erects magical barriers along the sides and in our way, while he sends hordes upon hordes of monsters to slow us down. After killing what had to be several hundred of his his monsters, we reach our foe before he is able to complete his ritual. 
In his fury, he magically lifts Zelda out of reach and transforms himself once more into his final form in order to do battle with us. Now fully cased in black metal armor, eyes as white as death, and muscles much larger than before, he briefly gives us a glimpse of the form that he naturally inhabits. A gigantic black flanged greatsword with the inverse Triforce engraved upon it. The complete reverse of the Master Sword. Girahim is in fact the evil counterpart of our very own friend Fee. But as we engage with this newly buff foe, we use the power of the true Master Sword to batter him to pieces over and over again. We push him to the very edge of his own arenas and throw him over and plunge our blade deep within the red gem that represents his heart. We land back on solid ground and continue the fight, blade to blade. But Girahim is still no match for our skills or for the true power of the Master Sword. But alas, just as we defeat our foe, it becomes apparent that he was simply playing for time while his ritual to drain Zelda's divine spirit is completed. As he laughs maniacally, Demise rises, fully formed and brutal to the extreme, back to life. Without even a word, he forces Girahim to take on the form of the gigantic black blade once more and takes it in hand. There stands our foe, long fiery hair billowing even without the wind, coated in black scales as tall as two men and as broad as a horse. Above his eyes that are as red as the gem in his sword, there is a bright white gash where the goddess mortally wounded him during their struggle in ancient times. This monstrous being is undoubtedly the king of demons, and his malice is felt as it radiates from his dark form as his body pulsates with physical manifestations of the darkness that he embodies. He recognizes us immediately as the chosen knight of the goddess, and also recognizes Zelda as the physical embodiment of the goddess. He remarks contemptuously that her physical form pales in comparison to the magnificence of her true form before casting our friend high into the sky. There's no way that we can reach Zelda in time to prevent a bone-crushing landing, but luckily, Groose has followed us into the past and manages to catch Zelda before she hits the ground. With Zelda safe in Groose's arms, it is finally time to deal with Demise. As we turn to fight, he marvels at the fact that we are even willing to face him, much less fight him, as most humans he has encountered are no more than sniveling whelps hiding behind the skirts of their goddess. In some modicum of respect, he creates a portal to a secluded realm where we can do battle with no distractions or interference. If we truly wish to face him, we must follow him through the portal and do it there. With no hesitation, we accept the challenge and pass through the dark portal. On the other side, we find a featureless landscape with a sun and, a co- and it is covered in a pool of shallow water. While Demise is pleased that we have chosen to meet our end in battle, he claims that this place will be our tomb for all of eternity. He promises that we will taste every ounce of the hatred he has for the gods, and the only question left is how long we can stand against him. Try to keep it interesting for me, won't you? He remarks. And so battle against the ancient foe of humanity is joined. The sky darkens and the monstrous king of all demons crosses blades with us, his great black blade against the power of the Master Sword. The fight is grueling, his power is undeniable, and every blow shakes our arms and threatens to shatter shields. He is cunning and fast as well as tanky. He routinely parries our own counter-strikes. The fight is long, and the blows are so terrible that they seem to shatter the air around us. Eventually, we manage to land enough hits to finally hurt the Demon King, and in his rage, he calls down a lightning storm in his arena. 
He uses his sword to channel the lightning in a perverse form of the Skyward Strike and starts throwing these energy blasts at us while also striking at us with his blade. But two can play at that game, and Fee is more than up to channeling some lightning for us. After another long and grueling fight, we cast the Demon King to the ground, but he is not finished quite yet. Leaping high into the air, we catch another blast of lightning on our blade and drive the empowered Master Sword deep into the wound that the goddess left upon our foe. He has tasted our own wrath and is defeated at last. With his dying breath, he promises that his hatred will endure for eternity without end and that those of us with the blood of the hero and the spirit of the goddess will be doomed to repeat the cycle of bloodshed and horror with him for all time. Demise is defeated, and the portal closes as we exit back to the sealed grounds of the past. As we approach the temple to return to our own time, Zelda pleads with Impa to come with us, but the ever-faithful servant refuses, knowing that someone must be present in order to protect Zelda as she slumbers in this past. In parting, Zelda gives Impa one of her bracelets and a tearful hug. Gruus, Zelda, and us return to our time through the Gate of Time, and as we step foot into the present, the gate closes, sealing the past where it belongs. As we enter the temple again, the Ancient One is waiting for us, caressing a beautiful, iridescent bracelet. She embraces Zelda and says that she told us that we would meet again. And in that moment, she fades away into pure light, her purpose fulfilled. But the goodbyes are not yet over, it seems. Fee comes from the sword and tells us that we must place the sword within the pedestal in the temple so that Demise's spirit, which is trapped within the sword, can fade away in safety. With their task complete, it is time for her to enter a sleep without end inside the sacred blade. With great sadness, and only with Zelda's encouragement, we approach the pedestal and place the sword within it. But as we leave, our faithful friend comes to us once more. She talks to us about the time that we have spent together. I have come to consider the time we have spent together as some of the most precious data I have on record. And I wish to say to you something which I have heard many people say over the course of our journey. Thank you, Master. She ends with the sentiment, may we meet again in another life, and disappears within the blade to sleep endlessly. And so our journey comes to an end. Demise is defeated. The goddess statue has made the sealed grounds whole once more. The Triforce is safe. And even the Loftwings know that the surface is safe once more, as Groose's Loftwing comes down to bear him back to the sky. But as we stand on top of the statue with the Triforce behind us, playing the harp of the goddess, Zelda states her intent to stay on the surface and build a life there. Maybe. Most definitely. We will stay with our love and do the same. Build a life on this lush surface in the shadow of the Triforce. The end, right? The end. Until next time, when we meet Fee in another life. 
Hmm. Might have something to say about that later. Let's go ahead and get into part two, which is our takes, where we talk about how we felt about this section of the game. Look, finale sections of Zelda games mostly take place on rails for the most part. Like, you can deviate a little bit if you want to, complete some other side questy stuff. It's all good. But for the most part, once you get into the final sequence of events, you're going from one thing to another thing to another thing. And it kind of just like uh, ferries you along um, uh, at, at, a, at a very expedited pace um, because, you know, at this point, it's time to get into the end game. It's time to wrap up the story. And I think Skyward Sword does that really well from the from the moment that you embark on the uh, Skyloft um, on the Skyloft Silent Realm. Uh, you're really just like. I mean, you're in it, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a sense of urgency, you know, it's time to get in and get this thing done. And I think the conclusion of this game overall is very satisfying. I think that everything that happens here is for the most part, really fun. And it wraps up the, the epic story that we've been embarking on for the last, uh, you know, nine, 10 chapters. Um, I mean, it, it, what, seriously, one of the virtues of this game being more epic in scope than some other Zelda games is that it's got a lot of narrative energy built up by this point. And regardless of uh, however much that momentum may have been uh, completely shot in the face. Hamstring completely last to death. Week, yeah. Um, you know, we're we're back in a groove here and everything that's happening is is good and has quite a lot of energy to it matt how do you feel about this section of the game i personally think this is the best finale section of any zelda game i've ever played um like the emotional payoff alone of impa's farewell and fee's farewell which almost brings me to tears every time i play it i actually disagree with you but continue and then we'll (sighs) yeah okay well, that's why we have dissenting opinions on the podcast. <laughs> um, the, it, it has so much emotional payoff from a character perspective. This final boss fight, the gear. So there's like two final boss fights here that are both insanely fun, in my opinion. The gear him fight is crazy fun. It's multi leveled. There are three parts to it, all of which are enjoyable. And the demise fight is just epic in proportion, in scale, in setting, in music, channeling lightning like freaking Gandalf fighting the Balrog. God, so good. Um, and the the conclusion of Zelda and Link staying on the surface to to basically start the Hylian race, I guess we can kind of uh, assume is what they do. Um, the loft wings coming through the cloud barrier for the first time in recorded history. Uh, like all of these things just are building and building yeah. and, and you get so much payoff at, at the end. Um, the the sense of urgency that you get when Girahim kidnaps Zelda after you destroy Demise in the present and he he ruins the moment and he takes her into the past. It's like a really cool twist that where, where they were able to, you know, uh, very effectively use time travel to allow you to fight the Demon King, but also use the Triforce, which is kind of the whole point, so that you still do both of the really cool things. Like, there's, in my opinion, there's not really a bad section of this finale. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you. Um, I mean, honestly, overall, I would say that this is probably the best installment, bar none, in The Legend of Groose. Bruce <laughs> has Bruce has that's some a little cool joke. moments here, man. Yeah. He's got some good moments, though. Let's let's give him let's give him his his moment to shine. I know he, he not only him. stands up to gear him, 
gets roundhouse kicked in the face. He then goes through the portal of time to try to help Link fight Gearham after he just got roundhouse kicked in the face. Yeah. And ends up saving Zelda's life. I love his little, his yeah. little I call this the legend of Bruce. Yeah, I know. And, and then so and he funny. says, that's a little joke. Like, <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, it's like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, I, Gruce. I really You're a little it. self-aware, but still goofy and yeah, funny. Yeah, Gruce is awesome. I love Gruce. No, I completely agree with you. I, I think that, uh, well, obviously, I don't completely agree with you. Like I said, I feel a little bit differently um, just in terms of the overall canon of Zelda finales than you do. But I think that this is all really fun. I love this final boss fight. I love everything that kind of leads to it. Um, the, let, the mob rush at the end when you're trying to fight your way to gear him is, is always a little fun for me. You know something? It is, but also... <sighs> There's something about doing this after having played a lot of Hyrule Warriors that makes it kind of true. That makes it kind of hit different, you right? Know? And I've only played a little bit of Hyrule Warriors, but I still very much got that vibe. So I see what you're saying, and I, I totally agree. But it doesn't affect me as much because I only played the demo version of Sky of uh, Hyrule Warriors, and I beat it. And it's not that I didn't have a good time with it, but like it's just not my style of game. It's not my style of game either. And this is very much just like. Here is an infinite trash mob that's not even necessarily too hard for you to you kill. You hit them once and they all die. There's just like so many of them that it just right. is kind of taking up time. So it almost would have been more fun if they had like three mini bosses you had to get through, right? Like if they just had three stages of kind of chunkier or a little um, or a little more interesting enemies instead of just a horde of trash mobs that might have been a little better take in my opinion but yeah yeah i completely agree with that um the the mob rush is my least favorite part of this whole section of the game for that exact reason i really feel like we could have used that space maybe just a little bit better um by no means is it my least favorite part of this game and i don't think it was terrible or anything no i don't i wouldn't even say it was bad it was just kind of there yeah just could 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 have been a little better um the skyloft silent realm i actually quite enjoyed i found yeah, so it I. I found it to be not as difficult as the elden volcano one for sure i i would definitely say this is probably the second most difficult uh behind elden volcano uh but in front of Leneru and definitely in front of farron woods um but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. elden volcano is still by far the hardest yeah, completely agree. Um, so yeah, that, as but far it as, was fun. Like there was a ver- there was a variety of puzzles that you hadn't had to you know do things like that with. Like the one where you have to move the box slowly while the seeker is going back and forth on the path. That one was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, the the pool of waking water that expanded and contracted in the one area by the houses was fun. And they had um they had some of the tiers hidden in interesting places that you kind of had to maneuver around the map in a little bit of a different way because of the gates that were up. Yeah. So it was interesting. No, I completely agree. It was, it was good. Um, I think that it, uh, you know, now that we've played all of the silent realms, I think we can call them a pleasantly, at the very least neutrally good part of this game. I would agree with that. I I, mean, I, I would say that they don't necessarily add a lot to the game for me. But they are at least a pleasant reuse of the space and a little diversion here and there. I feel like I would like them so much more if they were the only filler mm-hmm. in the game. But seeing as they're like the third or fourth tier of filler content, yeah, it makes me somewhat frustrated every time I have to stop and do one. But as the Silent Realms as themselves are generally okay. Yeah, definitely. I I agree. I do really, from a narrative standpoint, I do enjoy the timey-wimey shenanigans that kind of happen here with the the portal of 
It's a Doctor Who reference. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't, I've never watched Doctor Who, so. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, everything that happens with the portal of time from a narrative standpoint is cool. Going back into the past and, uh, you know, having to fight Girahim and Demise there after successfully killing Demise in the present. Freaking drop an island on him. Yeah, which is cool. Um, really so, epic way to kill somebody. Yeah, so that was all really neat. Um, I think you, you and I have talked about this before, but I think the conclusion to a lot of the character arcs here is really great, particularly Fee's and Impa's. Mm-hmm. Fee, Impa, Fee and Impa have amazing conclusions, and Zelda and Groose's characters really come full circle to to be what they were meant to be. And all four of those characters have extremely satisfying payoff, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I have a lot of appreciation for games where you actually interact with the Triforce as part of the finale. I completely agree. Because uh, because you do not see or, you know, even really hear mention of the Triforce in every Zelda game. Um, I mean, in Ocarina of Time, you hear about it a lot, but you never see it. Um, you in, just see that you just see your piece of the Triforce on your hand. Yeah. But you never see the completed Triforce. Yeah. In Breath of the Wild, it's not even really mentioned, I don't think. Um, I can't remember a single instance now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are games that don't take place in Hyrule where it's not mentioned, but Twilight Link's Awakening being the yeah. obvious example. Twilight Princess, I don't think the, tri- the Triforce is like a huge element of the story of that game. I think so. Um, but, uh, but I mean, like. It's it's much more a part of the top down games, you know, the Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, um, all of those, and uh, then of course it plays a very big role in this game and Wind Waker. So I I just I love it when I know it's it's like the world's ultimate Deus Ex Machina, you know, um, where it's just showing up to fix all your problems, but. You know, that's just that's part of the Legend of Zelda, and I appreciate that it shows up here. Um, so I mean, yeah, that, I mean that's all really cool. Uh, Demise as a villain is great. I I do wish we had like heard maybe just a bit more about him. I think Max mentioned that this game in general suffers from a whole villain swap deal where it's like you're you're dealing with Gearhim the whole time and he seems really cool and then at the last minute he's and he's revealed to be kind of like a lackey mm-hmm. and Demise is the real big bad. Yeah. So. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I also meant to bring it up. And I have to disagree here because the whole point of Girahim from the very beginning, his whole shtick was trying to resurrect Demise. Like the very first time you ever meet him, that's what he says he's trying to do. So uh, and, and if I remember correctly, Max mentioned in his Twitter thread that he compares, you know, Girahim to he got the Zant treatment, which I don't feel is accurate at all because Zant ends up being just a joke of a villain at the end. I definitely think Zant suffers from this much worse than Girahim. Him for does. sure like gear him at least his his whole thing up front is is stated and known and he acknowledges it and then he um like he, he fulfills his purpose and he's still a fun boss to fight mm-hmm. in my opinion all three times that you fight him i know you don't particularly like his first two fights but like i don't i don't think he got the zant treatment necessarily i can see why someone would make that comparison because again he's not the final big bad he's just the lead up to the final big bad but but again that's that was his whole shtick the whole time anyways yeah so i don't have an issue at the end of the day with gear portrayal in this game i think it's really well done front to back. I do wish that we had maybe even just gotten like a cutscene 
mm-hmm. earlier in the game that showed Demise waging war on the surface against the goddess I or something. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, man, give me another one of those intro cutscenes like they had at the beginning, but just like showing Demise yeah. doing stuff. Like, just, just build Demise up a little bit more before the first time that we physically see him in the game. I think that would have been really effective. I still think Demise is a cool villain. I just don't think that we know very much about him or what his deal really is. I think that he would be one of my least favorite, um, narratively, one of my least favorite bosses in the series if it weren't for the whole deal of like now we've got an explanation for why various incarnations of Ganon and Ganondorf continue to like plague Zelda and Link throughout history, you know? And Max made actually another point about that where he said that he feels like this does a disservice to uh, Ganondorf and Ganon and and the the whole struggle that they have throughout the games. I can see why someone would say that, how they would feel that you know, a person choosing to be bad, Ganondorf, Ganon, whatever, uh, over and over again is more fulfilling than what he described as like a divine predestination to do a said thing. I, I get that to an extent, but also when Ganondorf slash Ganon are the same over and over and over and over again, their goal is always the same over and over and over again. And Link and Zelda are also always the same over and over and over so again. So here's, I can yeah. kind of see how this works better as a this is why it is the way that it is and zelda always has revolved around the goddesses you know the the three goddesses of the triforce hylia i think is introduced in this game as the primary goddess the goddess of time and then you know ganondorf as the the king of evil and that struggle between good and evil was always been kind of at the center of zelda games in my opinion so i think that this this kind of gives a backstory to how that began and why it continues in the way that it does. I agree. I think that I agree with Max in that there are certain incarnations of Ganondorf, specifically um, the Ganondorf as he ex- like the, the Ganondorf that started his lineage in Ocarina of Time and then meets his final death in in various timelines Um you know, in the adult timeline, he meets his end in Wind Waker and in uh, the child timeline, he meets his end in Twilight Princess. That version of Ganondorf has got some real like motivations and reasons for being evil that have nothing to do with like an eternal curse and more to do with the fact that like, oh, you know, he's raised in the desert and he's jealous of the Hylians and all the prosperity they have. And like, I think that this whole this idea of the eternal curse of demise can still be attributed to that character. But I do think that that character was already interesting enough without it. I do think that this whole idea of the curse lends more interest um, to Calamity Ganon in Breath Mm -hmm. of the Wild, which is like, you know, that version of Ganon is very much um, portrayed narratively as like a very, a primal force of evil that manifests itself, you know, every few millennia. Like Calamity Ganon is very clearly not the same person as Ganondorf from Ocarina of Time. Yeah, Ganondorf from Ocarina of Time. He is a he is the same primal evil that has just re-manifested itself after a certain amount of time. And I think that that's really cool. Um so yeah, I, I think it's a cool concept that works better for some incarnations of Ganon than others. But um so yeah, that, I think that's about all I've got to say about that. Uh, Matt, let's go ahead and get into part three, the dungeon map, which is where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Obviously, this week we are talking about the Sky Keep, which is a finale dungeon through and through. It is a mix and match uh, 
kind of every every little bit of gameplay from the rest of the game thrown into a pot and you've got to get through it all in order to get to the final boss fight. Uh, Zelda games have a tendency of doing this kind of final dungeon. I think the one that this is probably the most similar to structurally is the Ocarina of Time Ganon's Castle where you've got to get through different rooms of Ganon's Castle that all take their theme from the dungeons that you played and it, and you've got to beat those before you can go fight the final boss. This is very similar to that with the added wrinkle of having to rearrange the tiles of the dungeon mm-hmm. in order to progress through it. And that's fun, I think. Um, at least there's some thinking that you have to do around the arrangement of those rooms and some um, strategic backtracking through them that is required. Uh, that being said, I mean, you know, all of this is like, there are some interesting puzzles in here but I do wish that it maybe had a bit more of its own identity room to room past just feeling like this could have just been a room of a dungeon on the surface, you know? Yeah, so I I I very much agree about the the reusing the same themes over and over. It's kind of cool at first, but then kind of loses its thing. Uh, one thing that is kind of jarring that I forgot about is they have another pirate boss that I totally forgot that that was in there. Yeah, yeah. And like... As much as I enjoyed, and I think we said this actually uh, in the Linarius Sandship episode, that it would have been cool to fight the pirate boss in his like full, like new form. Well, look at that. We just did. <laughs> it's basically a brand new pirate game. Right, yeah. And so we got to do that. But it was just the exact same. Um, like, not different literally at all. So, while neat, um, yeah. You're just sort of there. They're done that, yeah. right? It's um, just it's a little disappointing to me because when you walk into this dungeon for the first time, the main room, it feels very the vibe is so different. Yeah, it feels so similar to the Temple of Time dungeon in Twilight Princess. You know, right? And I sort of wish that it had it had had its own identity in that vein, right? So, um, but other than that, I mean, it's it's far from the least interesting like in in game dungeon that uh, it's also not the most interesting. I mean, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on Ganon's castle in link to the past after we play that one. Yeah. Because it really is kind of its own dungeon and that's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, what else can you really say about it? Like some of these puzzles are great. There's a lot more thinking that you have to do, especially in the, in the room where you've got to create the water lava platforms. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that was a really well done version of that mechanic where you've got to use the beetle to like switch the lava flow yeah. from one side to the other. That was really nice. Um, trying to think of some of the other puzzles that kind of happened in here. Another, I mean, I think really my biggest thing that I enjoy about this dungeon is the rearranging of the tiles themselves. Like that's yeah. such a fun brain teaser for me. I've always, I've, I've always very much enjoyed that puzzle. And, you know, most of the time I try my best to like stick it out in one run without leaving and resetting to rearrange the tiles to where I can get all three pieces. Well, this time I done messed it up so badly that I was like, I I can't rearrange these tiles the way I need to, to get to the piece of wisdom. So I had to, I had to exit the dungeon and reenter it. And that resets the tiles back to their original station. And from there, I was able to figure out how to rearrange them to the point that I was able to get to uh, the, the piece of wisdom. So it's, it's really, really fun, but it's also very easy to mess up in a way that you can't get yourself out of it. But they give you kind of a, okay, you done effed up, so you can exit and re-enter and kind of reset. And I'm very grateful for that. Otherwise, I would have been stuck in there for way longer and would have gotten way overly frustrated. But um, 
it's just a lot of fun, in my opinion. I think it's a good take on. Um, it's almost like the uh, the dungeon designer in some ways. That's in the Link's Awakening remaster, where you get to design your own dungeon. Yeah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. I I really yep. enjoy that. Yep, completely agree. That's actually really interesting. I hadn't considered it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's the kind of thing where this only like I. It's easy to say I wish that a pre like a future dungeon designer would be able to learn from this and do something more interesting than the Link's Awakening version. But also, the only reason this works is because you have to tackle them in a certain very specific order. Right. You know, for sure. Um, so you know, that's unfortunate. But it's fun though. But yeah, definitely an interesting precursor to that mechanic. Let's go ahead and wrap the demise boss fight into the dungeon map section and just talk about that fight. Well, itself. should we talk about the Girahim boss fight first? Yeah, let's do both of them. Girahim yeah. and then demise. Sure. So Girahim, the final form of Girahim is aesthetically super awesome in my opinion. I think he looks really cool. Yeah, he's a real, uh, he's a chunky boy. He's a beefy boy. He'd done some powerlifting exercises. Um I really, really like how he rearranges the arena to a vertical space. And then um, the, the the style of fighting that he goes for at the top where it's fists, he's trying to beat you up. Like, that was kind of yeah. cool. And um, I've watched, a, as I was writing the plot recap, I was kind of watching a, a playthrough by Beard Bear on uh, YouTube. And he does a really good um, no commentary playthrough. If you ever just want to watch somebody play through Skyward Sword instead of playing through it yourself, his is really good. Um, it, uh, it's really fun and there's a lot of different ways to tackle this. I personally relied heavily on uh, shield parrying because I had the Hylian shield. So I wasn't worried about my shield breaking. So I was using, I was relying heavily on shield parry to stun him in addition to hitting him when I was getting him back to the edges. And it's really, really fun to do that. Um, also, he throws in some uh, some counter attacks there that are uh, really interesting that he does well, where he'll flip you around. So if you get him to the edge and he gets a successful counter attack on you, he'll actually flip places with you and can push you over the edge. And like the first time he did that, it caught me off guard and I actually fell off the map and, and got hurt. And it was it was really like kind of one of those like, oh, cool moments. So I had fun with that. And then, you know, dropping him off the platform and doing a, a final strike on him to stab him in the heart was really fun, which I finally got the stick and button layout final blow down. And I I didn't. I did. I did not actually have a problem with it uh, for this fight or the demise fight. And I felt more accomplished about that than anything else in this game. I don't know what the I don't know what the difference was, but I got it right both times in the demise fight on the first try in the gear him fight. Every level that I knocked him down, I ended up just like sitting there going like, yeah, 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 <laughs> for like, you know, for like 30 seconds, like, come on, just do the do the thing. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I muddled through and finally got it done. Um, I still think that that's the most frustratingly implemented mechanic in this whole game for for the stick and button for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is that stupid final blow? Like, God, man. Yeah. Uh, so whatever. But I agree. This gear him fight is a lot of fun. It's easily my favorite of the gear him fights just because it's a lot more varied than the mm-hmm. other ones. And then when he when you get down to the bottom and he switches to sword, you kind of get the more traditional where he's got the one sword and mm-hmm. he's trying to hit you with it. Again, I was relying mostly on perfect parries. Yeah. Um, it took me a second to realize that you had to do the stab on his heart because mm. I was trying to swipe him for a bit and he yeah. kept parrying me. And I was like, ah, what the heck? And so, you know, once once you realize that oh, you got to stab the heart. Yeah. And then he pulls out that giant 
Final Fantasy looking yeah, ass. Yeah, like sword. cloud sword. And he's like, Whoa. that was that one's fun um, to do. Yeah, that one's a lot easier to do on the stick and button layout. So just much because, easier. Just because you can swipe so much more quickly. Yeah, the directionality is so much more easy to implement with the stick and button than it is with the uh, motion. I really like, so you were you were talking about Girahim's visual design in this encounter. I love how the further you go in the game, he ends up looking more and more like just a dark reflection of Fee. And in and in this final, he is literally yeah. He is just a, which which is what he is. I mean, yeah. Fee is the spirit of the master sword, and Girahim is the spirit of Demise's sword. So it's he's he's the cool inverse of that character. It does make me wish that we had seen a more humanized version of Fee. At some I was point. thinking the same thing. Like it, it made me think, Girahim is doing all of this in service of his master. So like, what would Fee have done the same thing had Link not awakened as the hero? Like I, I'm curious about that, and like part of me is is seeing this as a um, a further delineation between good and evil, right? Where good is reliant upon the person and upon Link as the hero to awaken himself without you know with assistance from Fee, but Fee is not doing it for him, whereas Girahim is doing all the work for Demise and like is is setting him up and, and Demise is using Girahim as a tool, and um like it's. It's very, it's very interesting to, yeah. to see the, to see the, what was the word I'm looking for? Um, different, let's go with difference. The differences between the two. Yeah, completely agree. Let's move on to Demise, um, which I, look, I'm not going to lie. I had a much easier time with this fight this time than I have in the past. The first time I ever fought Demise, he kicked my ass. Like, uh, I, I had a very hard time with that fight in the past. Um, and this time around, I just kind of knew what I was doing. So it went a little bit easier. I think one of the coolest things this game has ever done is to enable you to charge your master sword with lightning, um, instead of doing a skyward strike. I love it so much because you should like, if you're paying attention to demise, then you should know that you would be able to do that. The same thing, yeah. Yeah, but also, like, it's one of those things where you can completely overlook it and spend tons of time just trying to attack him without that. Um, so and- I, I, the first time I fought Demise, this fought took me probably half an hour in the second phase because I did not realize you could do that. And, like... It I actually did it completely by accident one time. I was getting frustrated at him throwing the lightning bolts at me that I was like, fine, I'm going to try to counter it with a skyward strike. And like, it doesn't always hit lightning on your sword if you have the, if you have it up, right? Like if, if you don't time it correctly, like if there's yeah. a strike that has just happened, it takes a couple seconds to get another one down. So there were still times when I was like, I think this is what I should be doing. And it like wasn't working. And I was like, ah, what's happening? Um, but one of those mechanics that it's not handholdy which I appreciate. It's yes. like, it's implied, but Fee doesn't come out of the sword and be like, charge the master sword with lightning. Like, okay. So when you figure it out, it feels cool. Yeah. It's one of those times in this game where, uh, it intentionally chooses not to hand, handhold you through the mechanics. And I really appreciate that because one of the main complaints that people have about this game is that it occasionally just makes it way too easy in terms of telling you what exactly you have to do. And in this case, it really is just you trying something and figuring out, oh, that works. Here we go. Uh, and so, yeah, that power fantasy as well is just amazing charging the master sword with lightning and then shooting it at demise 
Um, I think this fight is really fun. It's a lot easier if you have the Hylian shield. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I love having the Hylian shield. Um, also, the first phase where you're fighting him and he's parrying you constantly and also doing the his varied attacks between sword swiping and, and uh, fist uppercuts is, is very interesting. And the, the pacing is is different enough that it kind of keeps you off balance. Um, and there's also no visual cues to whether or not you actually land a hit like he doesn't recoil. He just kind of takes it. And you're like, wait, was that a successful hit? I don't I don't even know. And uh, you just kind of end up going through it and doing it enough times to where you think you're making contact. And finally, he's like, oh, he gets you know hurt and thrown backwards. Yeah. Um, so I wish there was a little more visual cue for when you landed a successful hit. But that's a very minor complaint. Uh, for for the boss fight overall, yeah, definitely. Um, I think so. If you with with shields that are not the Hylian shield, if you miss a perfect parry, does it insta destroy the shield? I have no idea. I've never done this with the Hylian shield. Yeah, me neither. But I've got to wonder. Like, I, wonder I would if, think it would, especially for like the goddess shield, where it has such a low durability rating that yeah. it would probably pretty much instant shatter. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I if anyone has an answer to that, let us know because I also have never done this without the Hylian shield. So, and that is mostly because, in my opinion, Link looks incomplete without the Master Sword and Hylian shield combo. Well, yeah. I mean, we so I said this in our episode last week. I intentionally did the Thunder Dragon first because I wanted the Hylian shield as early as possible. Um, yeah, it just, yep. it looks wrong if you don't have it. And Skyward Sword is the first instance of the Hylian shield with its new design. And I love that design. So, yeah. 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 Big fan. So, okay, cool. But anyway, yeah. And then of course you end this whole fight with having to do two. So you do a fatal blow and then he rolls away from it. You've got to get him again. You get another fatal blow in and he and goes, stab him in the face. He goes down. Um, and yeah, I think overall it's a really fun, uh, it's a really fun boss fight. Uh, I do wish that the difficulty ceiling of it was just a little bit higher for people who already know what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I look forward to playing this on master mode at some point. As do I. Um, I, I have to say, there is no more badass moment for Link that I can think of than leaping high into the air, spiraling, catching lightning on your sword, and stabbing the demon king in his face like just that moment is so epic well uh we have another game somewhere in our future where link does a little bit of uh face stabbing that i think you might appreciate as well so oh does link do some face stabbing and link to the past nope Ooh, ooh, wait, wait, ooh wind waker maybe Ooh, i love a good face stab just wait for it i think you're gonna enjoy it Okay, I'm excited. Cool. I mean, you also stab Ganon in the face in Ocarina of Time, and that one's always fun. That that one is fun, yeah. Okay. Again, catching lightning on the Master Sword. No, it's great. It's awesome. All right, uh, so part four is generally where we talk side quests. Matt, did you do any side quests? So I'll go ahead and cover the ones I did last week because I wasn't on the podcast, uh, as well as the ones I tied up this week. So I, I tied up all of Batreo's uh, side quest. I turned him into a human. He was very grateful. Still looks very demon-esque. Um, then I wandered around Skyloft for a bit at night and enjoyed the kitties that were sleeping instead of attacking me and the lack of bats. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, rescued Beetle's uh, Colossus Horned Beetle from the Weird Bug Guy, um, which that bug catching game actually is kind of fun. I forgot that that one is like actually kind of fun. Yeah. 
Um, what else did I do? Do, 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 do. I mean, yeah, just pretty much everything associated with, uh, getting the rest of the gratitude crystals and, um, the boss rush, which, uh, like I said earlier, I, I enjoyed very much getting the Hylian shield was super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did do the bamboo chopping, uh, just to get some, uh, goddess plumes and other materials so that I could just for <laughs> gigs fully upgrade every single thing in my inventory, which I did. Um, other than that, I think so, that is pretty much it. Okay, cool. So I figured we wouldn't have too much to get into there. I would like to, that's all very, very fun and interesting. I would like to temporarily transform part four of the Sacred Realms rundown into part four, where we talk Zelda end games. Mainly because I have a point that I would like to make here. Okay, make your point about how this is not necessarily the best Zelda endgame. I think that Majora's Mask's endgame is better than this one's. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can see that, and it's definitely my second place. Yeah, and maybe it's just because of the way that I do. I was about to say, it's 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 the, all down to the way that you do it, the way that you and I both do it. Yeah. Like, that's why it's so much more... I think it just has so much more intensity and lead up to the going to the moon beating the final boss and then like all the emotional catharsis that you see in the in in, like the final credits roll when you see all the people that you've helped throughout the game you know i just think it's got a little bit more emotional weight to it um well yeah that ties out just for you and me because the way we beat majora's mask and i we're gonna get into this when we play majora's mask whenever that is is um you beat all four temples you do the Kaifi and Anju. We're t- we're talking in your final three day cycle. Yes, yeah, so you you do this all in the three days. You beat all four temples. You save Romani from the aliens. You do the Kaifi and Anju wedding quest, and then you um you go to the moon and uh kill Majora. I also save Lulu's eggs. Oh yes, I do that as well. Yeah, thank you for. I was like, there's one more thing that I know I do, and I can't remember what it is. But yes, save Lulu's eggs. Yeah, all in three days, which is kind of difficult to be 100 honest yeah and the and the and the uh, monkey and the deku princess but you just kind of you get that done just by virtue yeah of i was about to say you do, you do that by beating a dollar you like yeah it's literally you just i mean go you don't have to one. you could beat a dollar and, and just, then just warp out of yeah, there yeah head out yeah but it takes two seconds yeah but i saved i saved the monkey for sure yeah so anywho uh so yeah i guess that's where we differ but i i still think it's a really good and and i have to say that i appreciate majora's mask and that ending as much as you do, I think the reason I appreciate this more is because it revolves around the Link Zelda demise relationship, which is the centerpiece of Zelda in general. So, like to me, as Zelda as a franchise as a whole revolves around these three characters, and so seeing the emotional payout for each of them, um, you know, seeing Link realized fully as the hero, the holder of the Triforce. Um, and the defeater of demise, seeing demise uh, brought to his knees by the night, the night of the goddess and seeing Zelda, um, you take her place as the guardian of the Triforce and, and, you know, the founder of the Hylian race, like all of those things distilled down into, uh, you know, the starting point for the rest of Zelda and also just a very satisfactory conclusion for these three characters. And also, of course, Gru, Simpa and Fee. Yeah, sure. I, I can't fault you there. 
It's all good reasons for uh, the way that you feel. For sure. Let's get into part five, which is Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we have happened across. Lots There's of good choices so to get many. into here. Lots of good choices. Um, I'm going to... Do you mind if I go first? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and use my Groose. You used your Groose already. When? When he when he did the big bomb uh, catapult. Did I? Yes. That was... Yeah, okay. That was two weeks ago. You're right. You're right. So you can pick Link, Zelda, Demise, Impa, Fee, any of the others. Then I'm going to go with Impa. Good one. I think that uh, I think that Impa, I mean, obviously she's a character that recurs throughout many, many Zelda games. And she's quite different in most of them. I, all of them, really. Yeah. Um, I think that in this one, she has got... Uh, honestly, probably her most impactful appearance out of any of them. Mm -hmm. She's present through the entire story. She's actively protecting Zelda in her young form, and she's guiding Groose and Link in uh, her old woman form for, you know, the rest of the time that she's there. So I I think that this version of Impa is really well done. The ultimate caretaker, um, the the epitome of a Sheikah warrior, you know, she's just, she's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, there is some interesting time shenanigans and timeline stuff that I have questions about here. Yeah. So like the the Zelda being still asleep in the past and awake in the future and but the but the thing is so I've watched enough Star Trek to have questions about like conflicting timelines <laughs> here, right? <laughs> Causality so, loops. So here's my question. If <sighs> so the old woman that we are interacting with for the entirety of the game is Impa. And she's Impa after having been the young Impa that was guarding Zelda for the entirety of that timeline, right? And that Impa, after Zelda was sealed in the chrysalis, maintained a watch over the sacred temple for hundreds of years, right? Right. And became old woman Impa. Here's my deal, though. When we go back to the past at the finale of the game... And we fight Demise uh, and defeat him in the past. Impa, like, does that not change the Impa of the futures? Like, the Impa that we find when we come back through the portal and she dissolves. That Impa now will have had different experiences than Old Woman Impa in previous parts of the game, right? Because previous parts of the game hinge on, from a timeline perspective... Demise Demise being imprisoned and him breaking the seal as the imprisoned. Yes. But now in the present timeline, he was dead in the past. Yes. Right. Okay. I I see where you're going here. Um, So what I'm saying is we made change in the finale of the game. We make changes in the past that are not reflected in the present. I mean, yes, you're not wrong. Um, I'm going to go with the classic Star Trek answer of cause does not always precede effect. That hurt my head a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, what that means is I don't know. And you're not wrong from a linear time thinking perspective. Obviously, that's not what's happening here. And I think we see the same kind of struggle with Ocarina of Time. 
right? Where Young Link is going back in the past and changing some things that don't necessarily reflect in the future. And, you know, most most strongly that is seen in the branching of the timelines, right? Or that is the, uh, I think that is the effect of all of that is the branching of the timelines. So... Temporal mechanics, right? Yeah, I, I I choose not to worry too terribly much about it, um, and just take it at face value. Okay, all right, all right, all right. That's fair enough. Who is your Z targeting pick for the week? Can I cheat a little bit and do two since I missed last week? Yes, you can do one for last week and one for this week. Cool. Then I'm going to use Groose for last week. Um, cool. So Groose has been such an amazing character through throughout uh, the entire portion, right? So he um, creates the big bomb thing. He uh, helps us defeat the imprisoned twice. He uh, really comes into his own when he when he finds his way to help without being the center of attention and the center of the story. He still embraces his role as being able to be a positive influence. Um, I think his relationship with Impa, with old Impa, is is very sweet and caring and that brings out a side of him that you never see in Skyloft where he has someone to care for who, you know, needs his help and protection. Um, that isn't Zelda that he isn't, you know, physically attracted to, but he still is just as protective of her as he ever, ever was of Zelda. He stands in front of her when Girahim is going after them and he's like willing to sacrifice his life to protect her. So seeing Groose's character development there is really awesome. Um, my second one is going to be Link. Um, um, and so I will have used, um, I will have used all three of my, uh, prime characters here now, uh, Link going into the fullness of the hero, um, with, with the, with holding physically the Triforce within his spirit, um, is something that I have never seen a Link do from any of the games that I have played. And seeing Link do that and fulfill his destiny as the chosen hero of the goddess, defeating Demise with the Triforce, and then again with his sword, um, and showing his bravery and his power um, and his ability to do that was really, really cool. You know, seeing Link go from this kind of lazy layabout, uh, as he always is, and then turns into the hero that everyone needs him to be, as he always does, but in in a very different kind of way. Um, and honorable mention to Fee for being a robot that almost makes me cry. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. Who? All yeah. right. Can we just talk before we get out of here about Fee's farewell? Like it, it we talked, we talked it a little does. bit about Impa and her, her amazingly emotional farewell with Ze- her connection to Zelda, but like Fee at the end, like just the music that plays, while she's while she's going through this heartfelt, um, you know, speech to Link about the mem- the memories that I have stored about our time together are some of the most precious I have on record. Like, uh, talk about a way a way for a computer to actually show some emotion. And then her her thing about may we meet again in another life just like hits so strong. Okay, yes. So here's my deal. I'm going to come in with a hot take, and then I want to have a little bit more nuanced discussion. There is one area off the top of my head in which I think that Twilight Princess has a leg up on Skyward Sword. Oh, this is interesting. And it is in Your Companion. I think oh, yeah, Midna. Midna's I, amazing. I think that Midna is a better companion than Fee. For sure. And I think that Midna's farewell to Link 
is, is just as good for sure. as Fee's Farewell. Fee's Farewell is great. No, I like, totally agree. It's good. You. And it really, it really hits hard. It does. I think Midna is overall just better. I uh, agree. That being said, now that we've actually gotten some like some in-game continuation of Fee mm-hmm. via Breath of the Wild. Yes. Which, and and this is kind of a deep cut. A lot of people maybe didn't even realize that this had happened, but it was absolutely intentional. You can't convince me that it wasn't. So in Breath of the Wild, in the cutscene where Link falls defending Zelda from the Guardians, uh, the Master Sword is beat to, beat to hell Zelda is alive, but Link is dying. She commands that he be taken to the Shrine of Resurrection, and the Master Sword is laying there in the mud, and all seems lost, but then the Master Sword glows, and it makes the fee sound effect, and Zelda says in in dialogue that she heard the sword speaking to her. I mean, this is very obviously fee. Right. Oh, for sure. It, I mean, it, it is very obviously fee. And to me, it also further gives reason to the Master Sword only ever being able to be uh, held and used by Link. Yeah. Fee chooses Link. She resonates with the spirit of the chosen hero. And like and fee being, you know, as Girahim was the embodiment of the sword has the power to to deny a user. And so fee resonates with link and like yeah. i love that yeah i i definitely think that from a lore standpoint the fact that fee has been present in the master sword for every incarnation that it's existed ex- after skyward sword mm-hmm. is really cool it's a really cool bit of narrative building and i really truly do appreciate it and it's one of those things where when i see that cut scene in breath of the wild it always it means something to me yeah it means more to me than it would have otherwise it's yeah. a really cool bit of like connective continuing tissue that the zelda series does not do a lot and you know? i and i remember the first time i saw that cut scene as soon as zelda said she heard the voice in the sword and the and the sword you know flashes and does the fee noise i was like oh i think i texted you immediately i was like oh my god zelda just talked to fee in the sword like in that flashback and it was so it was like jarring in a cool way yeah so anyway i think i think you're right that's all really cool and it sets up some really neat stuff and i hope that that's just capitalized on in the future because the reality is we have only ever had so skyward sword came out what like 10 11 years ago right We've only ever had one mainline Zelda game since Skyward Sword, and that is Breath of the Wild. Right? Right. So we're going to have Breath of the Wild 2. I, like, I hope that this is a trend that is continued throughout the Zelda games going forward, where not necessarily you need to have played past Zelda games to understand things that happen. But you get some special cookies out of there yes but for people that have played them throw things like that in there because it really just does make it very special it creates a, a sense of continuity um that is very rewarding for longtime players so yeah totally agree yeah all right let's get into part six which is our final thoughts matt why don't you go ahead and wrap this up Ooh, as succinctly as, as you can so skyward sword takes what has been the most narratively heavy zelda game in 
really probably existence and takes it to its final conclusion in a very satisfying way. There is an enjoyable dungeon. There are two very enjoyable boss fights and the, the pacing, the sense of urgency and the character building throughout this section are all uh, superb. Uh, it ends on a very emotionally satisfying note with uh, some of our uh, companions and, and dear friends coming to their final conclusions with Impa and Fee relinquishing uh, effectively their lives uh, as their journey has come to an end. Uh, we see not only the end of our journey to acquire the Triforce and defeat Demise, but the beginning of the rest of the Legend of Zelda series with uh, Zelda and Link beginning their lives on the surface as the first humans to do so in generations as protectors of the Triforce in the Sealed Temple. And um, overall, Skyward Sword comes off of a very low note um, in the previous section and brings it firmly to a very satisfying conclusion here at the end. Sealed Temple is totally the Temple of Time, It's right? absolutely the Temple of Time. Yeah, cool. I mean... Yeah, it is. Obvi. It's got the gate of time in it. So, yeah. 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 Cool. Just making cool. sure we're yeah, on a page we're on about same, that. We're on the same page. Yeah. Oh, man. It is so funny. I Obviously, the uh, goddess statue in Skyward Sword is way bigger than the one in Breath of the Wild, but headcanon, it makes me wonder if like maybe they just like took the goddess statue down in Skyward Sword and or put maybe, it maybe, in maybe the, in the eons that it Maybe in the eons that it sat there, it fell over a couple of times and they had to rebuild it. <laughs> and then also, I mean, the the location of the Temple of Time moves, is fluid. <laughs> it moves all over the place. So it's what it's the legend of Zelda, guys. This not is the, not, not the geographically accurate positioning of Zelda. <laughs> yeah, it is not the Atlas of Zelda. It is not the... Is not the exhaustive history of Zelda. And as the, as you said when we were talking right before this episode, it's interesting that the the goddess island descends right on top of the sealed uh the sealed grounds when the pillar of light for the sealed grounds is like three hundred yards away in the opposite direction. But yeah, eh, who cares? It's just Boom, right there. These are the questions that we maybe were never supposed to ask. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, whatever. It's all fun. Who cares? Don't think about it too hard. Nah. Thinking ruins it. Agreed. Not that kind of game. <laughs> um, okay, cool. All right, guys, this has been the Sacred Realms Rundown, the final Sacred Realms Rundown for The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. Uh, we will, of course, be back with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown in two weeks on November 17th when we get into the first installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown on A Link to the Past. And next week, of course, join us for our special Sacred Realms recap episode where we go over Skyward Sword in its entirety with our general thoughts. We do our special version of the recap rundown and then we rank it against the other games that we have played, those being Ocarina of Time and Link's Awakening. Absolutely. So we're going to have a lot to talk about in that recap episode. Before we get out of here, I want to I want to bring up one honorable mention for... Ah, uh, man, a really cool thing that this game. Look, you know, you know what I love, Matt? Tell me. I love the credits roll music in Skyward Sword. Yes. Like it cuts in with those crazy trumpets. Is but but like seriously, you you end that game and credits roll and it just makes you feel so hype. It makes you feel so epic about everything that you just did. Yep. It's really, really, really great music. It's got some classic Zelda themes in it. And I love how it does this whole thing where it shows you the front half of the game from Zelda's perspective. 
Yes, I actually totally agree. I forgot about that until I rewatched the credits and I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. So, yeah. Ah, man. So good. I mean, the music in Skyward Sword. Am I right? A tier. S tier. S tier. S tier. Seriously, S tier for for any Zelda game. It is just so damn good. Ah, man. Matt, it has been a blast covering this game week to week. This has been, I think, the most fun season we've done. Um, As much as I loved Link's Awakening, uh, this season, even with the absolutely beefy plot recaps has been just a lot of fun yeah it's you're been, gonna get you're gonna get a little break on plot recaps i know i'm so excited <laughs> i'm so excited um but it's it's been so fun to re-experience my favorite well previously to now i don't know we have to rank it next week but my uh, previous favorite zelda game in, in, in a much more objective fashion it's been a lot of fun to redo that and to sit down and talk about it week over week honestly like Doing do just doing that, the sitting down and talking about it gives you a, such a different appreciation for the game as you play through it, gives you a much more objective point of view and really like makes you think about aspects of the game that you normally, you know, don't when you're just kind of playing it for funsies. So it's yeah. been so much fun. Well, that's been one of the best parts about this podcast just in general is doing yeah. that for all these games. I do have to say time for an announcement. Ooh, I love announcements. I've invited a third party onto our recap. <gasps> oh, is it Mike? Mike, the detective, yeah! will be joining us. Because it's the first time he's played it. It is. And also, I feel like we're going to need a tiebreaker for our ranking on this one. I think you're probably right. So, yeah, we'll need to bring him in for that. But anywho, that'll that'll be next week. We'll talk. We'll talk all about that and see where this falls in the rankings. We're in this weird place right now where we're ranking this against two of the greatest <laughs> Zelda games ever made. You know, Gatsby. Like, Gatsby agrees. In case you didn't hear that. Oh, hey, Gatsby, Popo. We love you. Hi. You're the cutest Corgo boy. Yes, you are. We should probably post a picture of him at some point. Yeah, I know. I should get a Zelda costume for him. Or I something. thought you had one. I, I, for, that was Sawyer, dude. No, I know you had one. I thought you also had one for Gatsby at some point. No, nope. no, okay, no, nope, no, nope. just my actual human. I do son. know the difference between the human <laughs> child and the dog child. Okay, I know the difference. <laughs> oh man! All right, uh, guys, this has been a whole lot of fun. Truly, we appreciate you continuing along this journey with us. Get excited for one more episode where we uh, break down our final thoughts on this entire game and then move on to yet another one of the most classic video games of all time in A Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. If you enjoyed today's show and would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our final thoughts on The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Skyward Sword can be played in its original form on the Wii or Wii U, or the superior version can be played on the Nintendo Switch, which was the version that we have been playing if you want to get ahead of the game and play a link to the past you can of course play that game in its original form i actually it doesn't have a remastered version so original form is not the most accurate way so but you can you can play that game the same version anywhere you play it 
on the Super Nintendo, if you still have got that cartridge and your Super Nintendo is still working, good for you. You can play it on the Super Nintendo Classic Mini console that Nintendo put out, which I have, and that thing's really cool. You can play it on the Game Boy Advance. You can play it on the Wii U Virtual Console. You can play it on the 3DS Virtual Console. You can play it on, jeez, uh, I feel like I'm forgetting at least one. The Switch uh, Virtual Console. Well, that's the big one. So you can play it on the Switch uh, through which is the, where we will be playing, it. which is where we'll be playing it through the Nintendo Switch Online. Uh, the 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 mini the mini game game the Game and Watch is that on the Game and Watch? No, that's just Zelda one, two, and Link's Awakening. Oh, okay, never yeah, mind. Not on the Game and Watch, but yeah. Uh, so obviously, look if you've got a Switch and you've got. Uh, a few bucks a month to throw at the Nintendo Switch online plan, go ahead and do that because it gives you access to a, a large amount of really good NES and Super Nintendo games, and uh, Link to the Past is one of them. Um, so yeah, it's just a really easy way to play that game if you've already got a Switch, which I'm assuming most of you do. In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss. We will catch you guys next week. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. <laughs>